Welcome to the Porch Roof Classic, a retro baseball podcast novel in 15 or so episodes by Jeff Pullman. Episode 5 Chet put me and Barry on raise the camp flag duty the next morning. This meant getting out of bed at 6 a.m., fetching a folded-up American flag from Rudy at a supply shed, and hooking it very carefully onto a flagpole in front of the corral. The raising was the only fun part. The flag can never, under any circumstances, touch the ground, men, said Rudy, megaphone aloft from four feet away. His barking made Barry even more jumpy than usual, and small deltas of snot leaked from his nostrils as we unfolded the flag. Careful now, men. Remember that some of our fathers died for this. I could have gotten into a heated debate with Rudy, questioning why we were even around if our fathers had died, but was more concerned with the snot river heading toward Barry's upper lip and preparing to besmirch the flag. I was unable to gesture with my hands, so got his attention and wriggled my nostrils the best I could. He got the hint and snorted the goo back up. We finally got the flag hooked on right, which wasn't easy in the frigid cold. Rudy stood back a bit to take in the mission's climax. Ready, men? And raise, raise, raise! The next day, we had riflery instead of archery, and the same kids were on hand, except Helen for some reason. Yonkers Fred was in fine, obnoxious form again, but Chet was our instructor and helped shut him up in between BB shots at the paper targets. I was just as erratic I was as I was with a bow, though once I conjured up Helen's advice and pictured Danny Blight's mug on the targets, my aim got better. Hi, Robbie. Yesterday was good because I met a nice girl who showed me how to shoot arrows. She has lots of dark hair and is kind of mysterious, like that girl we saw juggling knives at the circus last time. Hopefully, I'll get to talk to her some more. Even better, I met an old worker here who listens to ball games over a shortwave radio. It's the Yankees, but who cares, right? It's still baseball. Miss you. Love, Joey. They barbecued a whole mess of chicken and dogs that night. Girls were allowed into the corral at the same time, and for a reason. It was the annual Macca Mixer, when they cleared out the tables after dinner, inflated a dozen or so balloons, plugged in an amplifier into a record player, and wheeled in a small trunk of 45s. The only weird thing was that they expected people to dance. Rudy apparently had a side gig as a disc jockey in Hartford when he wasn't a swimming and flag-raising instructor, but his megaphone barks had zero effect on our lack of social skills. Who doesn't like to wear blue suede shoes? Uh, nearly all of us. The Elvis version blasted from the amp. The boys groaned, cringed, folded into the wall on our side of the room. The girls, spilled out giggles, sorted themselves into little packs. I hadn't seen Helen eating and didn't see her now. Fred's brown-eyed beauty did a quiet little mock 50s wiggle for her girlfriends, which drove Fred nuts, but didn't exactly inspire him to move. Dance with her, said Barry with a nudge. No freaking way. She's got to come here and ask me. She's got to beg. Two torturous minutes passed, and then, Who wants to cruise now? Frankie Ford's sea cruise kicked in, another blast from the golden moldy past. This is a joke, I said. Really, said Noah, in a rare moment of vocalization. What century is this guy in? Brown-eyed beauty and her small friend gaggle slid out on the floor in unison, half-heartedly danced while blatantly eyeing the boys. 
Fred didn't know whether to faint or make a beeline back to his sleeping bag. I scanned the room again for Helen. No dice. This sucks, concluded Fred. Who's first splitting? I'll go back with you, said Barry, but then I quickly got their attention. Chet and Fran had begun a playful little dance of their own, but Chet was still keeping an eye on us. Damn it, said Fred. I glanced over at the record player. Helen had appeared, seemingly from nowhere. She wore her camp t-shirt over a purple, wrinkled summer dress and whispered something in Rudy's ear. "'What's Weirdo doing now?' asked Fred. Rudy listened to whatever she said, no doubt fighting an urge to rip into her outfit choice, but gave her a resigned nod when sea crews faded out, dug into his record trunk, and Helen helped him dig. The room fell awkwardly silent. "'Aha!' she cried, handed Rudy a forty-five. He quickly dropped it on the record player and sheepishly raised his megaphone. "'Er, we have a request here!' A funny little cowbell sounded, and Charlie Watts kicked in a funky drumbeat, more suited for a strip club. "'Jeez,' I said. "'Honky-tonk women?' It sure was, and Helen Fishblatt hit the floor. The impulse would have been to ape Mick Jagger, but she had no need, and as usual was in no hurry. She created her own soulful strut, arms wiggling to the skies, dress billowing as she swirled. She's not a weirdo, said Fred. She's a freak. Wow, said Barry. I was just dumbstruck. A few of the girls bravely inched onto the floor because the beat was tough to resist, but few ventured near her. When the song ended, Helen stopped strutting and twirling and gave the room a little bow. Me and a few other boys applauded, but the rest of the hall fell silent. Rudy paused, then clumsily dropped the next record, Fun, 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 by the Beach Boys. Helen straightened up, took a deep breath, and spotted me. To the horror of my tent mates, sauntered over and touched my wrist. You groove-worthy? Huh? Dance with me. My entire body blushed. Fred, Barry, and Noah had gone mute. I gave her a less-than-confident nod, and she pulled me out on the floor. Helen was a natural twister. I could only mimic geeky moves I had caught on American Bandstand. A few girls danced around us, but I was too embarrassed to look up at them. Don't sweat it, she said in my ear. We're headed for the corner. What corner? She motioned with her head to a shadowy alcove to the left of the DJ stand where a door was marked staff only. We let the other dancers surround us, slowly made our way over. Helen waited for Rudy to dig into his forty-five's trunk again, then walked me to the door and opened it. A half-dozen black kitchen workers were in there cleaning up, too busy to notice us. Helen guided me through the room and out a second door into a rear parking lot. Moments later, we were in a patch of woods leading away from the hall. You're going to get us in trouble. Where are we going? No, I won't, and you'll see, she said, and finally let go of my arm. Found this spot the other night. I knew we were headed to the lake because I could see a bit of moonlit water through the trees. A narrow path soon appeared, a neglected one that went around some boulders and through uncleared brush. What if there's poison ivy? So we'll itch each other. Stop worrying about things. The bigger boulders gave way to smaller ones, and the path sloped down and around to the side as we reached the lake. I could see it led away from the camp for some distance. Way off to the right, the lights from the Mac Corral and a few campfires shone on the dark water. Nice, I said, and instantly calmed down. Yeah, I assume they don't want anyone on this path because of possible lawsuits from kids slipping in or smashing their heads on rocks, or because Rudy's megaphone can't be heard from here. I laughed. 
She lifted the bottom of her dress and inched her way out onto a flat rock that jutted into the water. I joined her, and we sat with our legs over the side. A mosquito immediately landed on my knee, and Helen crushed it with a quick slap of her hand. Sorry. Instinct. That's okay. Thanks. We gazed out at the lake. How come you skipped riflery today? Why didn't you? I don't know. Why would I? Are you kidding? Promoting gun shooting for 13-year-olds? I'm 14, and it was just BBs. What's the difference? It's still shooting guns. Summer camps are militaristic enough as it is. So how come you're here? She screwed up her mouth with a long thought. Aunt Phyllis reasons. She thinks three weeks in the woods is the best thing for a young lady, even though I doubt she's ever left Evelyn Road in Newton. You live with your aunt? Wasn't my idea. Parents split up when I was ten. Mom remarried down in Lauderdale and my dad's a sleaze. Happens. Better than one of those car crashes, I guess. Yuck, so morbid. Your folks still together? I nodded. Sent me here to give Robbie more attention. He's my younger brother. That bites. What'd he do to deserve that? I sighed. Tried to chop our backyard tree down. Oh, so you mean not a little George Washington thing? Nope. He takes wiffle ball even more seriously than me. Hmm. Didn't know it was possible to take that seriously. You mean the weird spongy ball for indoors, right? I think I saw a commercial. No, that's Nerf ball. Totally different and more lame. Oh, can't say I'm much of a baseball fan. The only player I remember is Sandy Koufax because he refused to pitch a big game on Yom Kippur. Right, the 65 series. And the wicked cool thing is that he then won Game 7, pitching on two days of rest. Is that good? Sure is. But if you live in Newton, how can you not have heard of Yaz? Like I said, not much of a fan. We got silent. A couple of frogs croaked nearby. Funny, but as eager as I was to finally make out with a girl, just sitting on a rock with Helen was nice enough. Think we ought to head back soon, I asked. What's the rush, mush? I looked at her strangely. Sorry, never came up with a good name that rhymes with rush. You got a little mustard on your mouth. Oh, jeez, I wiped it off with my arm. Or at least I thought I did. Hold on. She cupped a hand in the lake, splashed a bit of water on the bottom of her t-shirt, inched closer and dabbed my entire mouth clean. Voila! Thanks. Was she going to kiss me? Would I kiss her? Was she at least thinking about it? Fill me in on your Juniors. You go to temple? Hardly ever, except on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, because who doesn't? Me. I'd much rather live my Juniors every day, you know, spiritually, politically, culturally, whatever, as opposed to going into a big-ass room twice a year and standing up and sitting down and standing up and sitting down and singing a bunch of songs in an alien language. Yeah, me and Robbie bring baseball cards inside our sport jackets and swap them back and forth during the rabbi sermons. And you don't get busted? Nope. Mom's always too busy looking around for someone she knows. I caught Helen staring at me. Her big dark eyes shone like little ocean caves in the moonlight. What? More mustard? Uh-uh. The faint tinny rock songs we could hear from the Mac Corral had stopped, and the sounds of kids laughing and talking grew louder. The mixer was over. I carefully reached for Helen's hand and she let me take it. It was surprisingly non-sweaty. Thanks for putting up with me, she said. Sure. Putting up with what? You know, my radical thoughts and all.
Oh, no problem. Kind of dig them. She moved her face closer, then put a wet kiss on my forehead and stood up. Shall we? I reluctantly got to my feet. She reached for my hand and led me back across the rocks, and we held hands until the first returning camper was in view. At that wonderful moment, Danny Blight seemed a million miles away. Two pieces of mail from the real world waited for me on my bunk. The back of an envelope had a lipstick smooch in the shape of my mother's mouth. Hi, Joey. So glad to hear you're having fun up there. Did you pack enough underwear? Is there a place to do laundry? Are you eating okay? Did you make any friends? Where are they from? See you soon. Love, Mom. The other was a postcard from Izzy. Hey, Joey. Saw Melanie Court at a table outside A&W yesterday with Brian LaRue and root beer floats. He's such a dweeb. I paused, then dropped the postcard in the nearest trash can. The final camp days were pretty much a big blur. More swimming, archery, and Helen-free riflery. They also had a movie night and showed The World of Henry Orient, a sexless comedy about teen girls in New York with Peter Sellers, but still kept the genders divided on opposite sides of the corral. I listened to most of another Yankees game on Randolph's shortwave radio until rain interrupted it. The Orioles were still in first place and hadn't started the collapse yet. Helen and I escaped from the horde for a long hike one afternoon, giving her a chance to wear a Janis Joplin-inspired feathered scarf she brought along and dump on President Nixon for a good 45 minutes. My attempts to explain the virtues of Dick McAuliffe's unusual open batting stance were less successful. Suddenly the Friday night farewell seafood fry was upon us, burnt fish sticks and scary coleslaw, basically, and I sat with Helen and everyone else on the swimming dock. We took in the waning sunlight, squished mosquitoes under our thumbs, ruminated on the rest of our summer. Aunt Phyllis wants me working somewhere, anywhere, like even a cashier job at the car wash. I don't see how that helps me advance society. Same here, I mean, the get-a-job thing. I've never been to Marsh Meadow. The name sounds kind of rich and snooty. Well, there's a side of town that's more like that. Ours is less rich and more, I don't know, friendly. Well, that's a good thing. Fred and Barry now accepted Helen as an actual person, though still chose to sit a few yards away. The other girls avoided her altogether, which didn't faze Helen a bit. Later in the tent, Chet briefly joined us for a wild card game of Crazy Eights, and we were soon in our bags. Noah was spending another couple of weeks there, but the rest of us were excited about leaving the next day. Which was why Fred's flashlight beam striking my face at one in the morning was such a jolt. Panty alert, sailor! What's up? We're hitting the girl tents with Team Greg. You in or out? Uh, too late. He and Barry hauled me out of my bag. Wait, you really think this is smart? Who cares? It's fun. What are they going to do, asked Barry. Send us home? In their flashlight beams, I could see streaks of mud war paint. Fred dabbled around his eyes. Four more whispering boys appeared outside the tent, made little whistle sounds. Fred poked me. In or out, Tosh? Out, for now, anyway. Wimp. And they were gone. I slipped back in my bag, but knew sleep would be impossible. What girl tents were they hitting? There were a lot of them, so the chances of them picking Helen's was small. But, oh, crap, I didn't even know which tent she was in. Ten seconds later, I was out of the bag again, pulling on shorts and sneakers. The girl section of the camp was on the other side of the corral from what Helen told me. 
I knew a few of the tents had flower pots outside their flaps, plus a couple more bathrooms that were five times cleaner. I slipped over a few rocks and tree roots on the dark lake path, tried not to do a header. All I really had to do was follow the devilish boy sounds, chuckles and lurid snorts that echoed and faded and echoed again through the trees. I stopped. They turned into whispers. Flashlight beams popped on, crisscrossed each other, followed those, and the path opened onto a wide clearing framed by tall pines. At least two dozen tents filled the area. "'Boys rule!' yelled a boy, and mayhem began. Girl gasps and a shriek or two sliced through the dark. Tent walls ruffled. Flaps zipped up. "'Who's out there?' yelled a freaked-out girl. I darted into the clearing. Fred was at one of the tents, tugged at its zipper. Someone inside whacked him with a shoe. I ran up, but another kid from Team Greg blocked my way, muscled me aside, and helped Fred yank the tent open. "'Hello, ladies!' he cried, ducked under another shoe blow, and stuffed the top of his body inside. The girls screamed and cursed through anything they could at him. "'Cut it out, Fred!' I shouted, tried to haul him out. An iron hand grabbed me from behind, hurled me on the ground. Something rubber and stinky hit my upper chest. Archery Fran's big sneaker. "'Wanna keep your teeth?' Uh, "'What?' I was trying to stop them. "'Sure you were.' With her free paw, she grabbed Barry by the waistband of his underwear, dragged him out of the tent as he tried to worm in. Other boys were having even less success. Some fled the clearing. I heard one boy crying and yelling for help. Barry struggled to get free of Fran, knocked her on the shin, and her sneaker boot rose in the air. I quickly rolled out of the way, scrambled to my feet. "'Make her stop it!' yelled the crying boy. I scooted around a few tents and stopped. Helen had a young kid I didn't know face down in the dirt, Wrists tied behind him with her Janis Joplin scarf. Helen's hands were clasped into a fist, and she was pounding the boy's back over and over, knocking the breath out of him. Helen! She glanced up and saw me. Her dark eyes had become glowing orbs from hell. I should have known, she uttered. I'm not with them. Fran and a stocky cohort were suddenly on her, too. They peeled Helen off the kid, untied his wrists. His nose was dirt-caked and bloodied. I seized the chance, hurried away from the clearing, glanced back at Helen's vengeful and very hurt face. Goodbyes tend to suck, especially ones you barely have time to prepare for. Sitting on a big log in the parking area beside Noah, face buried in his kidnapped comic for the upteenth time, I dreaded even seeing Helen, let alone saying goodbye to her. For their panty-raid actions, Fred and Barry had gotten an early heave-ho, but it took the consulars so long to find Helen the next morning they finally gave up and decided she could wait for her aunt to arrive with the others. Naturally, I didn't see her anywhere when I got to the lot with my duffel bag. With time to kill before Dad's Catalina rumbled over the rise, I thought about last evening's events and realized how dumb the concept of a panty raid actually was. Panties were almost never obtained. It was just a half-assed attempt at creating fear among the female sex. I wasn't sure but I imagine Helen had filled Camp's management's ear holes with the same theory when they escorted her to the brig, or whatever her hand-slapping interrogation took place. Hi, sweetie, Noah's mom, all hairdo and bracelets, emerged from the passenger side of a station wagon and ran over to hug him as he stood. See ya, Joey, he said to me with a shy smile. I think it was the first one I'd seen from him in two weeks. I awkwardly shook his hand and he climbed in the back seat. Another half hour passed. The sun and bugs came out. Only fifteen or so of us were left waiting for our parents. I gazed through a gap in the trees at the shimmering lake, 
paused to breathe in the fresh piney air I'd grown to like, then did a quick scan of the treetops. Squirrels chased each other, leaves rustled, a couple of high bird nests showed activity, a dangling leg. Wait, what was that? I stood and moved a few yards to the side. An old maple hung over the lot, shaded by a few larger trees, and halfway up, Helen Fishblatt sat on one of its branches. Her back rested on the trunk, and she seemed to be picking idly at a pine cone in her hand. I whistled at her. She glanced down and saw me, looked back at her pine cone. I had the impression she'd been watching me for half an hour. I whistled again. This time she visibly sighed. Suddenly a car honked from the lot behind me. A honk I knew well. There he is, cooed my mother from our Catalina's open window as it drove up and braked in a cloud of dust. I could even see Robbie in the back seat. I gave them a little wave, looked back up at the tree. Helen's eyes had narrowed. She was checking out my family. I waved for her to come down. She dropped the pine cone and shifted her behind on the branch, as if she were about to, then frowned and slowly shook her head. Mom got out and squeezed me. Dad shook my hand and grabbed a duffel bag. When I climbed into the back seat, Robbie beamed and kissed my cheek. He had never done that. Guess what? I'm taking a new pill that makes me less nervous. That's super. And guess what else? Yaz is up to 20 homers. Are you hungry? asked Mom. I brought you a chicken salad sandwich, the way you like it with the celery. Thanks. My dad wheeled the car around, and I craned my neck in search of Helen's treetop. Forget something? asked Mom. It doesn't matter. What was it? Nothing, okay? My harsh tone of voice even took me aback. What the hell's gotten into you? barked Dad. I just shook my head and leaned back on the seat, angry at myself and weirdly depressed. The car whistled by trees, rounded a curve, and plummeted down the first big hill, taking my spirits with it. Something else was bugging me. Hours and hours of time spent with Helen, and I had never gotten her address or phone number. You've been listening to The Porch Roof Classic by Jeff Pullman. This retro baseball podcast novel was made possible by Spotify for Podcasters and Buzzsprout. Be sure to basket catch another episode next week. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to contribute, go to buymeacoffee.com slash jpolman54v. Thanks.